0: one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We we're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard.
1: The shuttle era will come to an end.
0: But they won't stop inspiring. And they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. Come on. We choose to, to have a one small step for
2: man,
0: one giant leap for mankind.
2: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space episode 532 for the week of Monday, October 14th, 2013. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me tonight is Gene Mikulka. Welcome, Gene. Good evening, Sawyer. Happy to be here. Happy you're here as well, and also happy to have with us Mark Raderman. Welcome, Mark. Cruising through October. Let's cruise through this show. Yes, indeed. And speaking of cruising, we had a spacecraft that cruised by Earth recently, and we'll start that one off with Gene.
1: Yes, sir. Um, The Juno spacecraft, uh, bound for Jupiter, I believe it is going to be heading to the, uh, you know, it was launched uh, on uh, uh, August 5th, 2011. And it uh, did a little bit of a flyby of its home planet back on uh, October 9th, just last week. The uh, flyby went, went okay, but there was a little bit of a glitch afterward. Uh, apparently the spacecraft, uh, when they reacquired acquired the signal, uh, had gone into safe mode. That means it's just kind of sort of neutral and, and everything has been basically well, turned off and the computer... On board, thought there was something wrong with the spacecraft, so it retreated back to, uh, to a safe, to safe mode. Um, don't I'm really fully understand why that happened, but, uh, by, uh, Friday at about, uh, uh, 512 local time there in out of the uh, Southwest Research Institute there uh they reacquired signal with the spacecraft and got it rebooted and uh everything was all all good to go um it was a, a i i was watching the the event kind of sort of uh from a distance and uh getting some of the information uh about the flyby uh oddly enough with the government shutdown the way things are going right now um the uh, the, the source that uh, uh we were getting a lot of our information from was uh, was ESA operations the the that particular Twitter feed, and they were giving a lot of uh, their tracking data of Juno as Juno flew by, but um, because again of the government shutdown, uh, a lot of other individuals kind of sort of banded together and got some really good data and really good information out there, not only about. Uh, the Juno spacecraft, but actually about what was going on. Uh, Emily Laktawala with the Planetary Society also really took on the whole thing. Uh, I was doing some things as well, if anybody follows me on Twitter. But, um, uh, you know, again, it was a good group effort by everyone. And uh, I got to give a tip of the hat here to uh, our, our Mark Bratterman, who pointed out a really, really grand website uh loaded with uh, some really r- just exquisite data the website is uh, also from the southwest research institute which is essentially the primary uh, uh i believe they are the primary uh, uh facility for uh disseminating information and also tracking the the, uh, the spacecraft and getting all the science down but Mark if you can just go ahead and you know I, I re- again uh if you can give that URL just a, a I really have to give you a tip of the hat on this one
0: Well, you kind of hate the the blackout that we're in from the sources we're used to but and I mentioned it on last week's show as Gene said but missionjuno.swri.edu and I'm going to mention a couple of things to look for they do have a, uh, a page uh, tagged news, but unfortunately they don't update it very often, so don't expect to even see information about the flyby on that page, at least on the, on a recording date here. There's another one called Media Gallery, and if you look at the bottom of their main page, you'll see Media Gallery, and there's a bunch of gorgeous pictures that, that the Juno camera took approaching the moon and Earth as it came inbound from the far reaches of the solar system. There is a, uh, a fun little graphic. Uh, it's called How Fast Can Juno Go? And it shows a, a scale of eight different objects, one of which is a human running at 15 miles an hour, a bicycle at 70, an automobile at 100 miles an hour, a bullet train at 350, a Boeing 747 at 600 miles an hour, an SR-71 Blackbird at 2200 miles per hour, the Space Shuttle at 17,000 miles per hour, and Juno at 165,000 miles per hour. Now as an added little bonus, take a look on their page and you'll see a link towards the bottom. It says Y with Nye, N-Y-E, as in Bill Nye the Science Guy. He has done a series of six videos that I think you'll find quite informative and educational uh, one of them is titled, Is Jupiter Like a Piece of the Sun? Does Jupiter have a core or not? And they'll talk about some of the science instruments and how Juno is going to learn more about these things, help us learn more about them. So take a look at that, and I think you'll enjoy.
1: Yeah, thanks, Mark. And again, I'm going to cite uh, the, the article I was looking at for the uh, for the information here was uh, an article by uh, a good friend of mine, Ken Kramer, uh on universe today and we'll go ahead and we'll link to that in the show notes. So Ken, good job in letting us know what was, what was going on with Juno. But, uh, again I, you know, I was a little bit on the edgy side about, uh, about the vehicle getting into safe mode. I was like, Oh boy, here we go. But, um, the uh, spacecraft came back. She's good. She's healthy. And the next time we, we, uh, uh, she'll be in the news uh, will be when she goes around Jupiter and I believe she's due to do that on Independence Day 2016 so stay tuned we'll be giving you some more information as it becomes available
2: yes indeed so even though NASA isn't able to post information on it we're glad that we're trying to help you get ways so that you know what's going on I'm looking for something to throw (laughs) I have not done a bad pun in a while on this show. It was long overdue. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was
1: looking for something to throw all of a sudden.
2: All righty then. So with that, Juno is on its way, and we are now on our way to Mark. Another website that is not shut down
0: is DARPA. Now, DARPA, they've got a little box up on their homepage. That's D-A-R-P-A dot M-I-L. And it says DARPA is funded through multi-year research, development, test, and evaluation defense-wide appropriated funds. These funds have not lapsed to date. The agency remains open today and until further notice. <laughs> a round of applause. That's good news. Now what I wanted to tell you about with DARPA was some news that, uh, that I saw from them about a month ago. It was middle of September. But they are looking to develop an experimental space plane that will have aircraft-like operations in orbit. Sound familiar? What they prompt, one of the things they want to be able to do is to lower satellite launch costs by developing a reusable, hypersonic, unmanned vehicle with cost, operation and reliability similar to traditional aircraft. Now, commercial civilian military satellites provide critical real-time information for national security, for commerce, for so many things. The current generation of satellite launch vehicles is pretty expensive, costing hundreds of million dollars per flight. And these U.S. launch vehicles fly only a few times each year. Normally, they require scheduling years in advance, and it makes it difficult to deploy satellites without lengthy pre-planning. And so United States Department of Defense is looking to come up with something better. To help address this, they've established the experimental space plane, the XS-1 program, and the program aims to develop this fully reusable unmanned vehicle that would provide aircraft-like access to space. It's envisioned to operate from a clean, clean pad with a small ground crew, and no need for expensive, specialized infrastructure. It would enable routine daily operations and flight from a wide variety of locations, They look to be able to deploy small satellites faster and more affordably and demonstrate technology for next generation space and hypersonic flight for both government and commercial users. Now, how it's configured and how it gets back are pretty much all on the table from what they say. They're looking for some creative yet practical solutions. They envision a uh, reusable first stage that would fly to hypersonic speeds at a suborbital attitude. At that point, one or more expendable upper stages would separate, deploy a satellite to low Earth orbit. The reusable hypersonic aircraft would then return to Earth land and be prepared for the next flight. Modular components, durable thermal protection systems, and automatic launch flight and recovery systems should significantly reduce logistical need and give them hope for rapid turnaround. Their goals include flying ten times in ten days, achieving speeds of Mach 10 plus at least once, and launching a representative payload to orbit. The program seeks to reduce the cost of access to space for small payloads like 3,000 to 5,000 pounds by at least a factor of 10 to less than $5 million per flight. XS-1 would complement a current DARPA program already researching satellite launch systems. The Airborne Launch Assist Space Access, ALASA, is looking to propel 100-pound satellites into orbit for less than a million per launch, so... They're following along with another program previously established. They want to break the cycle of launches with XS-1 that seem to be happening farther and farther apart and costing more and more for each launch. And it would help if their progress toward a practical hypersonic aircraft technology would increase opportunities to test some new satellite technologies as well. So this is pretty interesting. I'm uh, I'm glad to see that there's things that are on the drawing board, things that are proposed, that are outside of what we're used to, and that's the information that I've got for you on DARPA.
1: Hey Mark, the the question I have is this all, it sounds awfully familiar. Like uh, about like two things that we've already talked about in the past. I'm thinking of the you know the mysterious X37B, which we still don't know really what it's doing and what it's all about. But um, apparently, it could it could fly up there for about what 205 days. And I think there's a mission up there now that we we don't know about that that, that is still going on with that thing. Um, and I, I would figure that any new design might be loosely based on that particular vehicle. And I mean, Boeing has already kind of sort of come out and said they could do a piloted version if, if, if we so wanted it. Is, did, did the, the, the website give you kind of sort of any type of configuration thing that they might be looking at or? Um, you know, any anything else in the in the RFP that might kind of give you a hint as far as what they're looking at?
0: Well, there is a graphic on uh, one of the pages. It's an artist concept, and it shows a <laughs> delta wing type aircraft with a piggyback, kind of a conventional looking. Um, uh, you might think of it as a second or a third stage with a, a payload with a nose cone, and it it shows a dashed line indicating that this piggyback booster would separate, launch, uh, uh, release its uh, fairing over the payload, and then, of course, deploy a satellite to orbit. And then down mm-hmm. below that, it shows this Delta Wing space plane, you know, on on just about on touchdown on a runway. So, um, now there's there's nothing real specific. They're, they're really just in the fledgling stages of of getting some proposals
1: yeah again and and the other vehicle that comes to mind too is that of Europe and we've talked to the folks that are putting that particular vehicle together and uh, that vehicle is Skylon uh that's another another ship that just kind of sort of comes to mind with you know uh, I I know they're concentrating more on uh a single stage to orbit concept and uh but it, it it again I believe is going to fly unpiloted and deploy satellites out of its own cargo bay and return. I think that's the whole whole point of Skylon and uh you know not only with the spin off that they have with that vehicle um with its engines which are just, just going to be absolutely revolutionary if everything continues to go as well as they have been so i um, I'm kind of wondering im i'm i'm seeing the I'm seeing the competition kind of sort of being laid down if you will in that area and apparently we're finally saying seriously we want in now since it's coming from darpa i'm i'm guessing that per- perhaps it will start off you know in a in a military sphere but it, uh, it i i <laughs> i have a sneaking suspicion this might translate very quickly to the to the commercial space sector so Fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be interesting to watch.
0: (laughs) No, actually, uh, you can go ahead and turn your cell phone on, drop your tray table, and uh, do whatever you want with your seat. Because on the uh, webpage that was linked from the DARPA site for the Proposers Day announcement for this experimental (laughs) space plane... It mm-hmm. says, we apologize for the inconvenience, but due to a lapse in federal appropriations process, oh. one proposer's day is postponed. DARPA remains committed to the program and will email approved registrants of the new schedule when available. So DARPA is open for business, but fedbizops.gov that, uh, is, is part of this proposal process is, uh, off for the, for the time being. Oh well.
1: Oh boy just uh, I'm now I'm looking for something to throw again. Ah, oh, I just don't get me started. This I mean there were protests over at the uh, NASA Ames over the weekend. Uh people yelling and screaming over there saying we want to get back to work. It just I mean <laughs> um I mean, there was, a, there was a, a, an article out there, no, no joke, uh, out in the Palo Alto area I forget what newspaper it was. I do apologize, but there was one of the speakers that were yelling and screaming with one of the, the infamous red shirts that uh, think geek sells with expendable written over them, and I think he wore that deliberately to say, "Look, we're not expendable here. We want to get back to work." And you know I mean, this is just a case in point. <laughs> you federal workers, God, I, I feel for you, man.
2: So the federal government may not have funding, but um, oddly enough, there's some TV shows that do that I'm not really sure if they should. (laughs) (laughs) To begin, NBC has a new show coming sometime in the near future called Space Race. It's a collaboration between Mark Burnett, who's a producer of such reality shows as Survivor, The Voice, and many more that you probably recognize on many different networks, and Virgin Galactic, Richard Branson's space company. And it's basically going to be a TV show, a reality show, where they compete and they train for a spot on a Spaceship 2 flight sometime in the near future. And according to TIME, it will have unprecedented access to Spaceport America in New Mexico, which is their base of operations out there. And, of course, it mentions there's one little hold-up, and that is that Virgin Galactic hasn't launched a commercial flight yet. Uh, it was supposed to be in 2008, but right now they're looking for 2014 for their first flight, so maybe sometime in the next year or two we could see this reality show. And keep in mind, this is not the only space-based reality show that is being proposed. It's just the one that is the furthest ahead, There are two others, one of them called Milky Way Mission, which is backed by Sony, and that will give the chance for celebrities and sports stars to compete for a ride aboard x corps spacecraft, which, again, keep in mind, has yet to perform a single test flight. And the third one is by the company Mars One, who's planning their trip to Mars one way, and that competition... Uh, they plan to be announcing sometime in the near future and hope that it will get them the funding that they need. That they'll say, hey, here's this thing going on. We've got, you know, a crew that we're selecting in 2014, supposedly, according to CEO Bass Landsdorp. And hopefully they can get the $6 billion needed in funding. Because keep in mind, they don't have a ship, let alone any way to leave Earth at all or to get to Mars. So they still have a way to go. But it looks like NBC may have first dibs here in the United States at Space Race. What do you think of all this?
1: Oh, boy. Well, Mars One is sort of a a sore point with me. I'm not going to go ahead and go there. Um, It's, I don't know. Um, Number one, it's a great way for these little companies that are trying to get themselves started uh, to uh, get attention and to... Uh, get uh, people excited about what they're doing—that's for sure. Um, I'm not sure what the individual or individuals are going to have to do to uh, uh, to win, you know, their their the coveted seat, if you will, for the uh, for the 15 minute ride up and and so on, you know, for their 15 minutes of fame, and I mean that literally. Um, I guess uh, when we're talking about a suborbital flight here, again, we're not talking about uh, actually going into, uh, you know, making a rev around, around Earth, so we're we're kind of sort of duplicating uh, Alan Shepard's, um, you know, pop gun flight, but um, what do I think of all this? I think the companies are trying to get attention for their endeavors, and this would be a, a, an excellent uh, way of of doing it, I guess, on a on a on a large stage, anyway. Other than that, I'm not too sure how useful it's going to be. I'm sure there's going to be people clamoring like there was on that, um, as you said, with the X core Axe thing. Uh, uh, that uh, um, was you know, that that's still going on. Uh, and Mars One. Well, I mean, you know that that's you, with all due respect, I and mean, that's got a you know, uh, ice cubes chance of a blast furnace in order, in order to really, really get off the ground. They're talking about a six billion dollar, uh, enterprise to get to Mars. No, no, no. Uh, it is going to be way more than that to get to the red planet. Trust me on that one. And, uh, for, you know, the, the, and we, we, we've talked about the one way trip, you know, a concept for Mars and, and uh, that was one. I think one of our very first topics, if not the first topic we've ever covered on this program. And uh, I still think it's you know uh, a fool's errand at best. Um, there to, to talk about reality shows dealing with space. Uh, there was one that was in the UK uh, eons ago. This was around like the 2005 2006 timeframes, and it was essentially a it was It was a gag. It was done as a gag. Um, it was, I believe the name of it was called Space Cadets. It ran, um, I'm looking it up on Wikipedia right now. Yeah, um, it ran December 5th, 2005 through, I mean, December 7th, 2005 through the 16th. Um, it was just this little mini-series thing that uh, picked up, Essentially, the most gullible people in the world <laughs> that would actually really really think that those though they were actually being trained for for a flight and they actually did a, a mock flight and these people actually thought they did fly, which was just ridiculous uh but uh the uh the the end prize for for the whole thing was a trip out to uh to Star to star city. So I guess, you know, the folks that really, you know, were kind of sort of reward, they were kind of sort of rewarded after, after the whole thing, after they were completely humiliated on, uh, on national television in, in the UK. But, uh, um, do I, I think again, it's a great gimmick, um, for those that are trying to pursue, uh, uh, you know, the, the space tourism aspects of this, but, um what other, you know, what other other real deal it has, I'm not sure. Um, I know Virgin Galactic is trying to, to get into also some sub- suborbital science. Uh, so is x the same thing. Uh, if you can, you know, convince people that both platforms can be used in a suborbital science type thing, then maybe you might be able to, to do that or, you know, here's a novel thing instead of going ahead and and uh, uh trying to go ahead and do uh you know some of the typical things that I've seen on some of these reality shows, how about making it a little bit more cerebral and uh really really testing people on their, you know, their ability to to understand physics or to understand, you know, how a rocket flies and so on. So there's the challenge there you know having the uh the folks that are signing up for this thing actually understand how this whole flight's going to work and if they can figure that out then maybe they they've earned the right to actually perform it so uh that's my thought if if it's used as sort of a an educational type thing then all right fine you know um we know these the both of these enterprises are are eventually going to go ahead and launch in the not too distant future anyway. I know both of them have not tested their wares yet, but they will eventually. And you know, hopefully ninety nine, you know, knock on knock on wood here, um, it works and uh, they're able to go ahead and make make good on their promise to to get the winner on one of these pop gun flights. But again, if they can turn it into a an educational. Opportunity, and they can, you know, then all the better.
2: You can always hope. Because keep in mind, this actually isn't the first proposed space reality show. You might remember about ten years ago, uh, there was one that was proposed called Destination Mirror, which was the winner was going to get a chance to go to Mirror. The only problem was Mirror came down before the show went up. So... It's an interesting idea, and going back to what we were talking about earlier, they've yet to announce what they're actually going to be doing on the show to get a chance to win the prize. But um, my vote is they wrestle in Zero-G. Whoever wins gets to go. Uh. (laughs) I'm going to
1: try not to look for something to throw again.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm on a roll tonight. What can I say? It's been too long since I've been on the air and doing silly stuff, so it's about time, this episode, that I bring it back. Uh, but before I get too involved in the silliness, that brings us to the end of round number one. And for round number two, we go to Gene and to Russ Cosmos in Russia.
1: Yeah, they've, we've had a changing of the guard that kind of sort of flew under the radar. I'm not too sure a lot of people are aware of this. I'm I'm sure the folks that listen to us, I hope you're listening to us anyway in Russia. And, uh, perhaps in, uh, Eastern Europe and, and, and in Europe know about it before, uh, before we did, but, uh, uh, we've had a changing in the guard at Roscosmos. Essentially their equivalent of, uh, their administrator, uh, has been relieved of duty. Vladimir Popkin, Popvigin was dismissed from his post last Thursday by quote, government decree, close quote. Um, this coming from, uh, one of my other uh, Russian russian con- contacts here this is this is coming from uh r i a Nost- Nostovi and I botch that name every time I do apologize for that but um the new uh, head of the Russian space agency is a gentleman by the name of Oleg Ostapenko and uh, he comes from his is primarily from uh, from the military. In fact, he was the uh, deputy defense minister before uh, he was relieved of that duty and then brought over to Roscosmos. Um, according to uh, the deputy prime minister, Dmitry Rotsigan, uh, who apparently wrote on his Twitter site, quote, uh, went with great dignity, close quote, and Ostapenko came with great expectations. But, uh, so Popvigin's been with Roscosmos since about April 2011. Um, however, during his tenure, the, the, the uh, Russian space program has not been doing all that well. Uh, it's um, had some extraordinarily spectacular failures. Uh, you know, Phobos Grunt, for one, um, we had a, we've had some issues with Soyuz. Uh, we've had some issues with uh, with with some uh, proton failures. Uh, most, the most spectacular one happening very very recently, uh, where uh, uh, somebody went ahead and uh, took uh, some angular velocity sen- sensors and installed them upside down on that particular proton vehicle, and from what I'm understanding, actually hammered those sensors in place, you know, to make them fit. Uh, it's sort of like trying to stick a you know square peg in a round hole so to speak and of course uh, the uh, the booster failed uh in spectacular fashion booster was supposed to be carrying up some one of uh, a few of the uh the russian uh, gps satellites uh that payload was lost and uh from what i understand the payload was not insured so uh that was a loss of about i think not only of the booster but uh also $200 dollars worth of satellite. so uh, again, under um, under a pop. Again, this has not been a good time for uh, for us, cosmos and is he to blame completely? you know it, it is his ship and you know the captain is ultimately responsible but um, is he really to blame for all of this? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, I do not uh uh envy um, Mr. Ostapenko's job because he's literally got to go ahead and and look at the the agency from stem to stern and try to try to fix what's wrong from a from a quality control standpoint and keep in mind too, um, we are still depending on the Russians to get us to and from the international Space Station. Right now, all of our eggs are in one basket, and that basket is called Soyuz, and that uh, that basket's an old basket. It's uh, Soyuz for, saw its first uh, you know first tour of duty in the in the, uh, in the 60s, uh, so <clears throat> you know it's it's been a while uh, since uh, you know since we've had all this you know since since all this happened. So uh, I'm hoping that Russia can get their their act together and that uh, this marks the beginning of the end of a lot of, you know, just dumb mistakes. And uh, again, I will offer uh, a, a little bit of a hint to, uh, to Mr. Ostapenko as he takes over. Um, you should go ahead and take a look at some of the growing pains we went through uh, with our own Mars expeditions in the 1990s and really, really not only did a full top-down quality control kind of look-see, but also installed a whole new philosophy at that period of time. We got rid of um, something that we were doing, you know one paradigm that we were employing called better, faster cheaper, where we didn't we identified the faster and cheaper. we didn't identify the better and uh this new process that was put in place at the jet propulsion laboratory uh kind of finally identified the better and made sure that uh this this new philosophy worked I believe the uh the philosophy called was called uh, mission success first and judging by what has been going on since 1999 well shoot it's been working i mean we've had some really good uh you know, incredible successes. So, uh, maybe this is something that, uh, that the Russians can use as a blueprint. And I'm not being flippant when I say that. I'm being quite, quite honest when I say it because it has worked here. And, uh, maybe they can go ahead and learn from our struggles, uh, that we had in the 1990s and employ that to uh, that template to their issues. I mean, I realize it's a it's a different fit, but if it, 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 the philosophy works in one environment, it might work in the
2: other. We'll see, because obviously, as you mentioned, there's been all the problems. I mean, you also had, we mentioned this a couple shows ago, one person who just quit, who was scheduled for a flight and just said, no, I'm done. I don't know if that's leadership or money or what, but when you've got astronauts, or when you've got cosmonauts walking out... <laughs>
1: Yeah, I, I think that was more of a money issue.
2: But still, you know, I, I, even if that is the government issue and the head of Ross Cosmos can't do anything, if, if there's a lot of people who are underpaid at NASA who still stay because they like the management.
1: Well, not only that, um, I mean, I can cite a few people offhand uh, that stay because, I mean, they could get oodles of money, you know, out in the private sector, but they stay with NASA because... They're doing stuff that not everybody gets to do every day. And, uh, uh, that's one of the, one of the, uh, uh, the glue, you know, the glue sticks, if you will, that keeps them in those seats rather than going out to the, to the, uh, private sector and, and making a ton of money, uh, out there, uh, you know, because of the, the education that they have. So, uh, you know, there are, there is something to say.
2: Very true. And, You know, we'll see what happens under new leadership, if anything. Fingers crossed. Alrighty then. So, continuing along now, it comes to me. And it doesn't exactly come to me, it comes to you. What do I mean by that? Well, we have been neglecting and answering a couple of listener letters recently that you've been sending to us at mailbag at talkingspaceonline.com or through our contact us form on our website, talkingspaceonline.com. And uh figured we'd answer one of those today. Um, and, and this one comes from a listener, Benjamin Kane, And I picked this one intentionally because I think it's a really interesting question. He says, Hello to everyone at Talking Space. I'm an avid listener and want firstly to express my sincere admiration and applaud you guys and your mission. The reason I'm writing is to try and pick your brains on the topic of education outreach. The topic of promoting the STEM fields among youth is so fundamentally important today. It's so fundamentally important today, and it seems as though there is being progress made. My query, however, is more selfish. I'm something of a latecomer to space enthusiasm. My inspirations don't coincide with Apollo or the shuttle era, but rather with curiosity and the exciting first steps of the new commercial space economy. I want to go back to school and get a degree in engineering and begin making contributions to the future of space. The education system being what it is has a knack for stymieing folks who try to dive back in. Frankly, I'm unsure of how best to pursue my mission. My question then is about what sort of outreach is there for people like me who want to get in the game but miss the bus after high school? Are there people or groups who offer some sort of mentoring? I'm, I'm sure there are, and I simply don't know about them. Any advice you would have would be really appreciated. I'd also be interested to hear what each of you thinks about this subtopic, though I'm sure you already have too much to cover on your show. Side note, we're more than happy to talk about this. Back to him. I'm looking forward to your reply. Thanks for your time, Benjamin. So what do you think, guys? For people that aren't of the shuttle era or the Apollo era, but more the Curiosity and Mars commercial era, what ways are there to promote STEM? He's already doing it
1: in a way. Um, I mean, he's he's already part of the you know he's already part of the party, so to speak. Um, and uh, you know, first welcome aboard. Uh, if you didn't you know come on board you know during the, the high school days and so on, there's still time. I mean, as long as you're breathing, there's still time. And you can still jump in and still uh, do that with both, both feet and, and get involved. Uh, if you're trying to pursue that kind of career, uh, I don't know where you are in your education right now. I don't know what you've got as far as, um, as, far as any, any current degrees. My thought is, because I'm sort of grappling with that kind of, kind of thinking myself right now, it's tough to go back, especially if you've already succeeded in, in getting, you know, your, 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 your bachelor's degree and so on. And, uh, you know, after you've, you've, you've kind of been, uh, out there in the business world, so to speak, and you're kind of sort of in a, a path, so to speak yeah and you and you want to invent, advance your education, but you know you're kind of sort of going, mm, you know is this really do I really want to go back for a master's? Can I really sit in a classroom again? Can I study? can I do this? Can I do that uh as far as any mentoring is concerned I would concentrate- i would first find out you know what really jazzes you personally. Um, is it engineering? Is it science? Is it policy? Is it is it is it something along those lines uh, that really really excites you? And then focus in on that. And once you're in there, and you tell you know the the folks that be over at the 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 uh, institution of higher learning what your game plan is and what you're hoping to accomplish, uh, they will. Pull out the, you know, they'll pull out the, the, the guns for you. They'll go ahead and and try to bring you along and make sure you're successful. Let them know your trepidations about returning and, and just, you know, take it one step at a time. And I'm sure that uh, you're probably not alone in that boat either. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of folks, especially in this economy right now, that are doing the same thing because, quite frankly, at this point, they don't have much of a choice. Um, they're at, you know, they've been either out of work or displaced or, or something along those lines. And they're trying to, you know, get their feet wet in a new career. I guess the only thing I can, I can really tell you is pick something that you enjoy doing and don't look back and apply that to where you want to be. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of companies out there that are looking for, uh, some top notch folks. And if, you know, again, I'll, I'll employ some of the words that some of the former astronauts have told me to, to tell, to tell uh, kids. I mean, if, if you're going to excel in those areas, you know, and, and if you're, you're really, really standing out scholastically, you won't have to be going to looking around for the grammar. You won't have to be looking around for companies like SpaceX and Orbital and, uh, those folks. They're going to start looking around for you. So uh I guess that that that's really the, the best piece of advice I can – but uh um just, uh, I, I and and you know again I'm grappling with that right now because I'm going through that right now myself. Um but uh, uh again just just go for it and don't look back um and don't let anything get in your way and uh again welcome aboard. I'm glad that uh, curiosity has Piqued your your curiosity, and has inspired you to to kind of think a little bit bigger and think outside the box and think, yeah, maybe there is an opportunity out there. You know, not, again, no pun intended. Um Sorry, now you can look for things to throw at me. Maybe there is a, is an opportunity out there for, for for yourself to go ahead and be a part of all of this, um, and and to and to make a contribution. So again, don't don't let the fact that you've been out of school a while stop you. So go for it.
0: I want to mention something from first-hand experience and also something that I just stumbled across thinking about this. There's a a website called stemconnector.org and I went there looking for information on STEM programs with the FAA because I knew I'd seen reference to some things in the past year or so. But uh, in light of the fact that that this website is kind of a one-stop uh, location for STEM information. They have literally hundreds of companies that list with them and provide some uh, information on their own internal programs that they have for for new engineers, for new technicians, for people that, that fit in their area. And I have to go back, which in my case is way back uh, when I was in, uh, back at the time it was called Junior College. It was, uh, what I referred to jokingly as grades 13 and 14. <laughs> Get out of high school, go to the local two-year college, and, uh, and go on from there to, to whatever. And at that point, I really didn't know what the whatever would be? I knew I was interested in electronics, and I, through a friend, found out about a cooperative education program. Now I don't know if those such things still exist. I know that with the FAA that I that I've worked for since that they do not. That they're periodically they would have something come along that would that would bring in uh, technicians, engineers, different people through a collaboration with a college that might have a particular program that that oriented somewhat to to the FAA technical workforce. But, you know, my career and at that point, dozens, literally dozens of other um, people that had no particular aptitude for the field that we were in other than the fact that we were studying electronics technology and and that general uh, direction enabled us to... To start out, as we referred to him as a GS, I referred to it as a gs nothing, and which is the name of the pay scale we were on back then as general schedule. But, uh, for instance, when I graduated, I've, I graduated with a guy from junior college who went to work for Texas Instruments for double the pay that I was going to be continuing as a trainee with the FAA. Uh, obviously, I'm happy with that, but I owe that to something that the actual college that I was going to had a connection at that time with the FAA. Of course, those things change over time, but uh, maybe take a look on the web, stemconnector.org, and you'd be surprised at the resources that are are out there.
2: Yeah, obviously my jobs that I aim towards STEM education for younger people, It's still, a lot of these apply. A lot of the same things that are out there for kids are there for adults. For example, the museums and things like that. If those aren't inspiring, I don't know what is. It's great to just go and ask. Just ask the tour guides. Ask the people there because you never know what stories they'll have at these amazing places. And ask online because, I mean, you're doing a great job as is asking people like us. It's a good start. I would go ahead and ask on Twitter. Ask some astronauts. They're great at getting back and giving advice on promoting STEM. So, uh, just ask around would be my suggestion and always ask and always keep wanting to learn more. And you're looking in the right places already. So you're on the right track. Keep going. Alrighty then. So with that, we encourage you to send us all different types of letters on any topic. You see, this was more STEM-oriented, but we love hearing from you guys. You can always email us, mailbag at talkingspaceonline.com, tweet us at Talking Space, or post it on our wall at facebook.com slash talkingspace. And we love answering your letters. We do the show for you, so if we can give you what you want to hear, we're happy to do it. All then, so that brings us to the end of round number two, and we are ready to move on to round number three, and with that, we go to LADDY. <laughs> that just so happened to rhyme. Now, if you may not have heard, LADDY, which is a lunar orbiter, did just that. It entered lunar orbit successfully on October 6th. LADDY, the Lunar Atmosphere and Dust Experiment Explorer, launched from Walps Island, Virginia, back on September 6th, making it the first lunar-bound launch From said launch facility. It will begin starting around November 11th. It will go into a lower altitude to less than 30 miles above the lunar surface, beginning a 100-day science mission before running out of propellant and crashing into the moon in early 2014. The main purpose of this mission is to study the moon's exosphere, which is a type of atmosphere so thin that the atoms never actually collide with each other. And, uh, this is, it's an interesting mission, and I'm glad that it finally made it safely to the moon. Because we've got something finally American built back at the moon, first time since 2009.
1: Yeah, that's very true, Sawyer, and it, uh, again, this was, wasn't launched from, uh, the Kennedy Space, Space Center, but it was also, uh, it was launched, uh, just about a five hour drive. Away from uh, from where I live here in New Jersey, um, over at the uh, over at Wallops Island, and it was the first time that uh, uh, a spacecraft bound for the moon was uh, launched out of uh, out of Wallops. So there's a there's a lot of firsts with Laddie. Laddie's got an interesting modular design. That could be set up for other missions as well as, uh, possible, um, you know, landing missions as well. Uh, it was the very, f- it was one of the few NASA projects that was done totally in-house. Uh, I believe the, uh, NASA Ames Research Center was the, um, engineering group that put LADEE together and it is the Goddard Space Flight Center that is going to be doing a lot of the science. Uh, involved in this, but, you know, again, due to the shutdown, don't worry, you know, the the folks that are, that are watching Laddie, making sure that it's healthy, are still over at Ames, but, uh, I'm not too sure if the, the science folks would be, uh, would be working the science angle over at Goddard. Sadly, just as an aside, there was a, uh, a little bit of an audio clip, uh, that was cited on NASA Watch. Uh, just uh, on October 11th, and uh, the audio clip uh, it was sent uh, well to read off here. It was sent back to Earth from the Moon on uh, on October 10th, and uh, now that if anybody should happen to to go ahead and you know cruise by the Moon and see Laddie. Orbiting the moon and wondering what it's there for, um, a gentleman by the name of uh, Michael Wargo will go ahead and tell you about what it's doing there. Um, Michael was uh, was taken from us rather suddenly, uh, back in early August of this year. He was the uh, chief exploration scientist for NASA's Human Exploration and Mission Operations Directorate. He made on un- Countless contributions uh, to uh, human exploration. He was uh, the uh, part of the uh, the El Cross mission, and uh, obviously because of El Cross, uh, Laddie was sort of a, a follow up to El Cross. Well, Sawyer, if you want, you can go ahead and. We'll pretend we're, uh, we're an alien spacecraft coming by this, this interesting little seven-foot spacecraft orbiting our nearest world and, and ask it, gee, little laddie, what are you doing here?
2: The true spirit of these missions is that science enables exploration and exploration enables
1: science. So that was uh, the voice of, uh, of Mike Wargo. And uh, I thought a, a very fitting tribute to uh, to the man and uh, the contributions that he made to uh, uh, possibly returning humans to the surface of the moon.
2: Yes, indeed. Short, but very, very to the point. And Laddie is in orbit around the moon. It's completing its 30 days of testing right now. And keep in mind that before that, although LADEE is still going through testing, another one of its instruments will start its experiments on October 17th, and that is LLCD, or the Lunar Laser Communications Demonstration, which is going to be testing communications through lasers, just as it says. So lots of good stuff coming up in the future with LADEE. We'll keep up to date on that. Now, to finish off... This episode, as you may have heard, we had a major event within the past week and we lost another American hero. Gene?
1: Uh, Malcolm Scott Carpenter uh, passed away at the age of 88 from complications from a stroke that he suffered. He was uh, a, one of the first seven Mercury astronauts. In fact, uh, now only one remains, and uh, that is John Glenn. Ironically, the the oldest of the uh, of the Mercury astronauts. And back on uh, May twenty fourth, nineteen sixty two, uh, Carpenter lifted off on board uh, uh, spacecraft that he dubbed Aurora Seven. Aurora Seven was really the first science oriented uh, mission. The spacecraft. Uh, Got up to an altitude of about 164 miles and, uh, uh, got up to the usual orbiting velocity of about 17,000 miles an hour and, uh, was, uh, one of the ma- major, major stepping stones to the moon. Um, it, it uh, and again, we've mentioned, we've kind of danced around the government shutdown all week and as all will show here, and as you know, Uh, The NASA website was shut down, but uh, they did uh, uh, go ahead and open up uh, Carpenter's official NASA bio uh, for anybody that wanted to see it. So they they opened that one up as well. A lot of other people don't remember. um, Everybody remembers Scott Carpenter for his accomplishments with with NASA. But after leaving NASA, he went ahead and uh, went back to the U.S. Navy also served on board one of the very first underwater laboratory experiments, Sea Lab 2, where I believe this was August... Let me look it up here really fast here on Wikipedia. Okay, August um, 28th, 1965. And he was the first of three teams of divers that had lived inside uh, Sea Lab 2. And from what I understand, it was not a happy existence under there for 30 days. You were breathing, you know, flat out helium. And, uh, there's a rather, uh, interesting conversation that was recorded with, uh, um, President Lyndon Johnson, uh, with, uh, with Scott Carpenter, um, and his uh, voices. You know, way up here in uh, in Mickey Mouse Land, so to speak, but uh, and that the whole reason why is you're breathing helium. Uh, but as as uh, uh, Carpenter uh, said, uh, it was it was uh, uh, not exactly a uh, a great experience living under there for 30 days. But they did learn that you could live in a small um, laboratory under the ocean. So you're you're talking to somebody that not only uh, uh, conquered the the heavens but also conquered. Uh, um inner space as well uh with uh with the oceans i had an opportunity to listen to a uh, a speech that he gave at the uh the National Space Society Space Development Conference just last may and you can tell it was uh, he and and John Glenn on the uh, on the podium and you can tell that just by the way he was way he was talking, Carpenter was just absolutely passionate about getting the next generation involved. And Sawyer, again, you were talking about we were just talking about uh, you know the the STEM science, getting in, involved in STEM and so on. He um, was really really wanting to encourage the next generation and to get that generation involved in 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 science technology you know mathematics and so on extraordinarily passionate about it but he also made an impassioned plea about moving on and going on to the next step and uh he envisioned that next step as as mars and uh, also made an impassioned plea to make that that to make a commitment to go that route and uh you can tell he was the real deal by just by the inflections in his voice and and so on I think he he made more of you know I, I as much as I I don't want to say this he made more of an impression on me than 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 Glenn did and they were both sitting on on the podium where where Scott was just you know where Glenn was a little bit more laid back I mean at 90 I guess he you know at 90 plus I guess he could be but, but Scott at, at his age was just really, you know, he was, he was really making, trying to make a point when he was out there. So, um, uh, again, uh, condolences to, uh, to the family, um, and, uh, condolences to, to everybody involved in, in, in the world of spaceflight, uh, on the loss of, uh, a, a true grand hero. I mean, I know, um, he and, uh, uh, you know, Chris Kraft didn't exactly see eye to eye and, and all that, but, um, that's a story for another day and it's a story for history to figure out later on. All in all, we, I think we've lost really, really quite a gentleman and, and quite a hero, uh, these past couple of days. So again, condolences to the family and condolences to, to, uh, everybody that's involved in space flight.
2: Yes, indeed. I had the honor of meeting him for the first and only time uh, in May this year at Space Fest, actually. Um, he was a, an amazing person to talk to. He was very passionate. Um I, I've told the story briefly on Twitter, and I think I may have mentioned it uh when I talked about Space Fest last time, but uh him and I had a little race, wheelchair versus scooter race, and uh, I joked if he wanted to race me, and so he revved up his engine for a second or two, and uh i've always been saying i let him win but in actuality we just both slowed down and uh we talked for a little while and an amazing guy uh i got one of the last autographs he signed and i asked him to sign it to the intrepid and he said nope it's too intrepid because that was the ship that picked him up and he wanted it to be respected by it's wanted to show its respect and call it by its official name It was just, it was great to talk to him. He was extremely frail, and you could tell. He was, at the uh, banquet dinner, they honored him, and everyone gave him an amazing three or five-minute standing ovation, and he even struggled to stand during it. He had three or four people help him up, but uh, an amazing person, uh, inspirational, and indeed a hero. Not just an American hero, but just a spaceflight hero in general, And, and it's always sad to lose someone, especially one of the original Mercury 7, and just someone of that caliber of a person. So, again, regards, again, uh, condolences to the family.
1: And if um, anybody's interested in learning more about him, his website is still active, and uh, that uh, URL is com. So if you want to learn more about what he he's been doing and what he was all about, Go ahead, and that's a that's a pretty good place to start right there. And also, he was extraordinarily active with the Astronaut Scholarship Foundation. If uh, anybody's interested in learning that, there's a link um, to that group on his site as well. Again, condolences all the way around. And again, we've, we're diminished. We've we've only got one of our original seven astronauts left, and, and that's uh, that's John Glenn.
2: Indeed, a true American hero. And on that note, that brings this episode to its conclusion. I'd like, to thank everybody who joined us here tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka.
1: Thank you, Sawyer. It was a, a interesting evening. And again,
2: um, keep the, the the letters coming. We'll more be more than happy to answer them. Oh, yes, indeed. And thank you all for joining us, Mark Raderman. We'll have to
0: do this again sometime.
2: Yeah, you know, this could be a regular thing at this point. You know? Yeah, it could. No, no not, not that we've done this 175 times or anything, but shh. Don't And we thank you for joining us once again, and we hope you will join us next time when we do this thing again. But until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are.